Hello everyone, welcome once again to Reason for Hope. We're glad that you are joining us today. Reason for Hope, in case it's your first time, is an hour-long live broadcast. That's right, we are live with you. Anything can happen. For the next hour, we're all about your questions on the Bible. Look, I have three hands. Um, you can send in your Bible questions through multiple online platforms. Uh, I'll be going over those in just a moment. We are live on multiple platforms. You can send in your questions on the Bible. And we have some wonderful guests here who love to answer your questions. They love the Lord, love the Word, and love to answer your question as accurately as they can from the Bible itself. So if you have a question on maybe a verse or passage of Scripture that has confused you over time, you'd like it, you've come across it in your reading, and what does that mean? Uh, maybe something you're even going through in your life, maybe on an even more personal level. You, you want to honor the Lord, and you don't know what the Bible says about it, your, your circumstances or decisions you're trying to make, something like that. Maybe even just Christianity as a whole, that worldview, maybe even other worldviews as they relate to Christianity. What does the Bible say about this, that, and the other? Any question along those lines, as long as it's an honest question, a sincere question, we are very glad to receive that. And once again, the Bible is where we are endeavoring to find the answers on this show. That's what A Reason for Hope is all about. My name is Dave Robson. I'm your host today. I'll be there on all those platforms as your questions uh, come on in. And we'll try to get to as many of those questions today as we can. With us today, we have Pastor Bo Willett. He's the assistant pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. And that, and that means it's Tuesday. <clears throat> that means it's Tuesday. That's right. Tuesday. That's Bo right. Day. Bo Tuesday is Bow Day. And we're very glad for that. And we're glad <laughs> yeah. you're here with us also. The only one without a hat on because... He had, well, it's not just because you have hair, because Barrow has hair too. But anyway, Pastor Sean Richards, course our regular here. How are you doing today? Got a stick. You got a stick, yeah. What is that once again? That's pretty cool. It's a cubit. It's a cubit, yeah. How many things were measured? Is it like 18 inches? Yeah, about the average uh, length between someone's hand outstretched to their elbow. Problem is I'm a Norseman, so I'm above average. <laughs> yeah, I'm average. But, <laughs> but yeah, you read that measurement in the, in the Bible with things. That's kind of cool. Well, thank you both for being here. We appreciate making the time to, yeah it's awesome being here to be here and it's brave as well you know we're just we don't know what questions are going to come in so we just got to be ready for anything here but again our intent and our goal is to find the answers in the bible um so pray for us as we do that well as i mentioned reason for hope is a live broadcast we're with you with you monday through friday 5 to 6 p.m here in tucson arizona mountain standard time uh, it's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So keep that in mind when you're trying to find us on the different platforms. Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and uh, that will help you out. Um, you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's a great home base to to view this broadcast, especially if you're someone that's you know boycotting social media or just not on social media, calvarychristianfellowship.com. You can go to that Watch Live tab, and that will take you to our live page. While you're at uh, the website, you're more than welcome to have a click around, see what's going on. We have that events and sign up page. We have all kinds of Bible studies and support groups and events coming up, all kinds of things. So especially if you're in the Tucson area. Yeah, especially uh, Tucson proper, right? If they're like in Tucson proper, like we're right off the freeway, off right. Prince Road. Um, yep. So uh, definitely, um, you know, come check us out. Yeah, yeah. So it's a convenient, like right on the west side of the freeway, you could see our building from there. So um, yeah, absolutely. If you're looking for somewhere to, to fellowship, if you already have a home church, then we've got no interest in trying to poach you from there. That's right. Stay in your home fellowship. <laughs> Stay there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you're looking for somewhere to, to worship, you're more than welcome to come. We have Sunday services and a Wednesday evening service. And again, calvarychristianfellowship.com. You can find more information there. You're welcome to give us a call as well 
here at our church office. Um, but when you click on that link, the, uh, the watch live, you'll go out to our page. The direct link is ccftucson.online.church, ccftucson.online.church. We'll take it to the same place and you'll see the video there. You can sign in with the username. And uh, there's a chat function where you can send your question and I'll be monitoring that as we go along. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events as well. So you won't have to miss anything. So ccftucson.online.church or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com. Take it to the same place. We're on Facebook as well. Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Uh, just search for that on Facebook or facebook.com slash ccftucson. And don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that. And that's another way you can send us your question just in the chat function. And I will be uh, checking that as we go through the show as well. We have an app for your mobile device. If you look for, you've guessed it, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. Look for that red background with the white uh, Calvary Chapel Dove logo. That's our app. And uh, that's the same uh, the same page in a mobile version as from our website. So you'll be able to view there, be able to send your question in all that kind of stuff. And we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So look for us in your channel store. Search for, what was that again? Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. And you can uh, uh, add our channel on Roku or Apple TV if you have those devices. We're on YouTube as well. The channel is called A Reason for Hope on YouTube. So search for A Reason for Hope on YouTube. We are live there. Once again, you can send your question in through that, uh, through the, uh, the, the chat box. And also, if you go to the live tab, anytime we've been live, it will be archived there. So if you missed a show or you want to recap on a question or even check out one of our services, they're all there for you as well. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And uh, if you want to click on the notification bell, you'll get a little prompt when we're live as well. So all that for you there on YouTube. Our senior pastor here is Scott Richards here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. He's not with us uh, today. I believe he'll be with us tomorrow. I think that's the plan. Back yep. with us. Um, but he's on Twitter, Scott R for H, Scott letter R number four letter H on Twitter. If you want to follow along with him, if you're in the Twitterverse yourself, he posts highlights from the show. He posts commentary on uh, world events and news events, especially as they um, uh, pertain to end times and prophecy, biblical prophecy and things like that. So much going on in the world and the Middle East um, that has been um, predicted in the Bible. Um, so it's very interesting to follow along with uh, Scott Richards on Twitter in these times. So Scott R for H there on Twitter. We're on Rumble as well. We're not live on Rumble, but we post video content there. A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A if you use the Rumble platform. And then our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for Hope all spelled out there. You can email us your question there anytime. Any, uh, any reason you want to use that email address, uh, you're welcome to do that. If you're listening to us on the radio, Reach Radio, or one of the other radio affiliates, you'll want to keep that email address in mind because we are um, not live with you. You're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, basically. So questionsforhope at gmail.com if you send it in, and then we'll get to that question on our next show. But we're glad you join us, whatever platform you found us on. Once again, keep in mind calvarychristianfellowship.com. It's a great home base in case one of the other sites go down. You know, sometimes Facebook, for instance, has problems there out of our control, whatever. It's good to be aware of these other platforms so you can jump around there. And again, send in your question to us, get them in early, and we'd love to parcel out the time to answer them today. Well, with all that being said, Bo, yeah. it's Tuesday, Bo day. <laughs> <laughs> Bo, you, what? <laughs> you look like you were in a class then and I was the teacher. <laughs> Bo, yes, yes, sir, what, what did I do? 
Pay attention, Mona. That's right. <laughs> I'll send you to the back of the class. Would you like to pray yeah, for us? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Yes. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here on the program with these guys. And uh, it's wonderful just to co-labor with them and get in your word. And, and that's the exciting uh, uh, part of all this is your scriptures and how they speak to us. And we pray that your word would be that lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. And Father, we would take hold of it and be blessed. Uh, and so may our words just be grace seasoned with salt. May you bless all those uh, uh, listening. And uh, Father, may you get all the glory. Uh, for you are a wonderful God, and you have uh, amazing plans uh, for us uh, and, and such a wonderful future grace that we can look forward to. So bless the time we have now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Bob. Yes. Uh, well, we have a question to kick off with. Uh, that came in just before the show. Mm-hmm. Why do churches do music at a service? Uh, what is its significance? How do you go about picking songs, and why are churches so different from one another on the kinds of music allowed or practiced? So, multiple part question there on music. Yes, music, music. pastor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am the mm-hmm. worship pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. So Bo's looking at me and so is Sean. <laughs> I think they want some insight on that. But. Yeah, there's, um, uh, there. you know, I, I'm excited to like see how, how everybody's gonna answer this question. Yeah. Um, um, I'd like to start off this one with Sean and let Sean kind of break down maybe a little bit of uh, kind of the overview of the Bible on this kind of subject. Yeah. And uh, just kind of the facts. It's a um, huge topic. Yeah, it is. It's a big one, and there's it's a there's a multiple of questions. Yep. Um, um, and so, uh, Sean, uh, how would you kind of go about answering that one? Well, when it comes to proper etiquette in church, I think the presence of music starts with the Last Supper, as far as Christian conduct is concerned. It, of course, goes earlier than that, but when Jesus had that uh, celebration of the Jewish ceremony of Passover, the Seder ceremony, it mentions not only in, but also outside of the Bible, that in that ceremony there was singing involved setting kind of the atmosphere, if you will, reflecting on certain psalms, specifically the psalms that were pertaining to what Jesus was about to fulfill, not accidental. And it even notes in Matthew 26 and verse 30 that before they went to the Mount of Olives, they sang a hymn together. Mm -hmm. So the idea of beginning, closing, those kinds of uh, accompaniments to worship and fellowshipping with God's people would be found there among other places. But when it comes to, I guess, the semantics of it, saying that it should be organ music, it should be, uh, you know, classical guitar or whatever, the original sang a cappella, so we're kind of charting new territory here. As long as it's not a distraction or a stumbling block to the audiences, or at least that their standards are reasonable, I don't think that uh, there's a satanic music that can be played in church, especially when Jesus is the subject of every song. Yeah. If you, you know, are playing WAP or something from Beyonce, then we might have other questions, but that's the idea, mm. is music does have a place, singing does have a place, art has a place among the body of Christ insofar as it's focused and centered on what the teaching would be like, what the fellowship would be about, what the works accompanied with church fellowship would be about. As long as Jesus is the focus, then I think whatever you're doing, do as heartily as unto the Lord. And yeah. if 
what you're doing just doesn't fit the Lord into it, then maybe that would be a fair objection. But it is completely biblical that music, just on principle as a subject, could accompany fellowship and church. Right. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Do you like my thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a huge... Um, I mean, why do we worship... I mean, the Bible is full of it. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole... <laughs> the Psalms are all songs and um, all about their, their songs and, and, and um, all about worship. Um, there's so much there. I understand there's over 400 instances of sing and I think over 50 are commands or at least admonishments to sing to the Lord. There's a mm. lot in the Bible. So it's certainly a biblical concept, not something that so we... So it's like a command. Yeah, sing to the Lord. I mean, it appears many, many, many times. So it's certainly not something we've come up with. Um, a lot of times you don't think of uh, singing under the Lord as like a command. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, hey, man, you're commanded to sing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't really sing. I'm not really <laughs> musical. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. Yeah. And because it's an artistic thing, it is an interesting subject. But a couple of psalms that came to mind, Psalm 90, 96, I mean, there's, a, there's many we could go to. Maybe even after the show, I'll be like, oh, why didn't I go to that psalm? But Psalm 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders amongst all people. For the Lord is great, greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. So worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremor before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Uh, the world also is firmly established it shall not be moved uh, he shall judge the peoples righteously let the heavens rejoice let the earth be glad let the sea roar and all its fullness let uh, the field be joyful and all that is in it uh, then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the lord for he is coming for he is coming to judge the earth he shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples uh, with his truth mm, uh, very cool so prophecy update in there too yeah yeah that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was saying wow that's really uh, uh that's so cool that you picked that one because uh you know when paul taught in uh, greece um he said uh you know god when he was teaching in at the Areopagus, um this this place of philosophical banter if you will um he says hey god will uh, has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness mm. by the one whom he's appointed so it's like he picks up on that psalm yeah you know where god will judge the world in righteousness yeah. and then he goes to the fulfillment meaning by the person whom he is anointed yeah. he's proven it by raising him from the dead yeah. so he shows that it's jesus who is the revealed person who's going right. to come back and judge the so yeah. it's kind of neat. It is very neat. Yeah. And I love how so often it, when it talks about worshiping the Lord, it's it's accompanied with why, you know, because he is this, that, and the other. And it also, it's also accompanied with and the trees and the sea and all creation, you know. So there's, if yeah. you wonder why do we worship God, well, there's many, many reasons because he's, he's worthy to be worshiped, you know. I mean, yeah. I've been in love before in my life, and you just want to, praise that person you want to say man you're so this you're so that you're so beautiful you da 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 it just comes out of you yeah. um and god is worthy of you know i mean he's perfect yeah <laughs> you know? i think i think that psalm 2 answers some of the the question of the, the kind of why do we do it and that is it said like declare i think there was certain um 
verbs that were in there like declare was one of them yeah one of them was um like show glory yeah um, proclaim even proclaim, i think things like proclaim that. Yeah. was another one um um so these are kind of action words right it's like we sing because we're proclaiming uh his name right uh we're declaring his goodness his righteousness his yeah. justice um so I, I, I picked that up when you were reading it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And there's just thing, there's, there's things music can say that words just cannot. You yeah. know, there's, and, and even words put to music, they become just so much more powerful. And, and again, it should hopefully be a natural thing where our love for the Lord wells up in a song, you know. And yeah, even Ephesians if you can't five. really sing very well. <laughs> yeah, Ephesians 5.19, we're told to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right. making melody in our hearts before the Lord. Yeah, mm. that's right. And that's another thing I was going to bring up about um, in, uh, is it Colossians? Yeah, 3. Yeah, 3.16, right? Not John 3.16, but Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly um, in dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the lord and whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the lord jesus christ so there's a an aspect of of worship again it's such a big topic um, there's an aspect where we're singing to one another you know which is something i know early in my kind of worship you know career so to speak my, my being a worship leader it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about us, we need to focus on the Lord. And then I came across this verse, sing one to another with psalms and hymns. So there's, there's a beautiful part of it where we're singing to one another, come let us worship the Lord together, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, admonishing one another with these songs, singing of the truth of God and those kind of things. Mm. Well, and that's so. how the early church taught each other. Most of them couldn't read, but they could remember song lyrics. So when right. they were, for instance, learning the basics of the resurrection, what were they singing to each other? Philippians 2, <laughs> verses 5 through 11. That was the Carmen Christi, the hymn to Christ. Yeah. And in memorizing that, they understood the incarnation, the resurrection, and the glorification of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, the earliest hymn of the early church, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, or 15, 3 through 7, notes the resurrection, the eyewitnesses, and it was set to a song. Uh -huh. there, there's a whole like study of theology and studying early hymns of the church called doxology, and it's definitely profitable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you, you see, doxologies are all throughout the New Testament. So um, you see that music's a part of um, definitely the way people, I always say, like canonize scripture. So music is a way that we canonize scripture. It's a way that we imprint mm. theological truths in our mind, in our heart, yeah. you know, uh, internalize it. Um, so the, the mystery is that uh, tune, a tune, a melody, somehow, and this is another topic uh, on kind of the metaphysics of music, but it somehow imprints uh, uh, a sentence right. into your heart and mind to where you not only memorize it, but it becomes like almost like a a part of you yeah like you a know. stamp yeah like a i'm sure a, a psychologist could explain exactly <laughs> what that is yeah um, but i'm not one but yeah yeah <laughs> and that's and it's interesting right a lot of us can hymn a tune of like a uh, a commercial 
yeah that we have heard when we were kids yeah or like a a theme yeah. song yeah the other day i was having yeah. dinner with my kids and we were playing 80s music just for fun yeah on alexa or whatever and this whitney houston song came on and i sang it word for word <laughs> from I, it was almost like i was possessed like my mouth yeah. just knew i was like i didn't know but i yeah. think it was back when i was working in a certain place we had the radio playing yeah. and it just got imprinted i hadn't heard that song for 30 years right and i just sang every word and literally as i went along it's like i know all the words to this song. right <laughs> you know right somewhere like you say somewhere in there it was just imprinted like yeah. anyone working in retail knows mariah carey is a curse in the bible <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yes but yeah. what a great what a great technique what a great use for music in that. yeah i i would like to point out uh something that i find really fascinating too and that is um you know you look throughout the uh bible and uh you look um even the breakdown of the priesthood uh in first chronicles chapter 25 and and this is the priesthood of israel and so this is just a little bit of history of why we sing because uh, we're talking about how it's a biblical thing mm. but it's a very old ancient thing too and christianity remember is fulfilled judaism so uh you know we look at judaism uh from the bible obviously this is the history book of the jews and you see david together with the commanders of the army set apart some of the sons of asaph and it says, for the ministry of prophesying accompanied by harps, lyres, and cymbals. So it's interesting. E the prophetic message was accompanied by music. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So um, as they taught the Word of God, there was also music that was very, if you will, near mm. to that. Okay, so you you go into Nehemiah, which is another historical book um, of chapter, and I would I would want people to read eight. It's so great. It says Ezra. This is verse four. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform. Now, does this sound like our services today? You, if you want to see like maybe why we do things kind of this way. Yeah, Ezra stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion beside him on his right stood some people like the the leaders you know and it says and on his left were other leaders and Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them and he opened it with the people uh, and, and the people all stood up and Ezra praised the Lord the great God and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Wow. So you see how it's like Ezra is going to go on teaching the word. He's yep. going to teach from a pulpit, what we would call a pulpit. Yep. And people are also praising God. So in this service that you see uh, that is there with Nehemiah and Ezra, there is very similar... Uh, things of what we're doing yeah. today in our services. Yeah, which is good to know. It's just good to know. Yeah, <laughs> we're not just making it Make up. It up you yeah. know? Um, yeah, and that's what I want people to get is if you read Nehemiah 8, you'll see that, wow, like, oh, I see what Nehemiah is doing. You know, and, and it says all who could understand uh, what he was saying were there. Yeah. So he didn't, you know, um, I'm sure there was a kids ministry going on at that time too. You know, where, <laughs> probably donuts. So that so that Ezra could, yeah, I know. I heard someone say, um, 
calorie chapel. Yeah. <laughs> the other day. I was if busted. you feed them, they will come. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, um, the point is, is that today we have services and they're kind of arranged a certain way. And you could see in the book of uh, uh, Nehemiah chapter eight, how this is kind of working. Yeah. But all cool. the way back in Judaism, you see how there was a uh, people that were sanctified, set apart for the ministry of song yeah you know now one of the questions uh before we get to the next question you know is how do you pick your songs how do you kind of go about that like yeah. uh you know what what makes uh the right song what doesn't make a a good song yeah yeah i can because there's a lot of churches and a lot of different kind of <coughs> vibes there is and i think a lot like you know Sean mentioned the instruments and stuff. So much is cultural. You know, I understand when organs came into church, it was like, oh my gosh, this is satanic. You know, and now it's old fashioned. <laughs> and it was electric guitars and it was drum, you know, and yeah. it's, you know, it's just a cultural thing. Like Sean said, it, it's, you know, as long as we're honoring the Lord with it, like it's cultures are just going to change in that. But there's some things I go through in my head um, when I'm picking a set. Um, I mean, I'm always thinking about our demographic, you know, our the people that are here, you know, and and who I am as well. Like if I'm the worship leader, that if God's called me here, then then obviously He wants you know me to use my style and approach and things like that. Obviously, I'm always growing in that. But mm -hmm. but I'm thinking about our demographic, who we have here to to be able to um, put the right kind of songs in their mouths for them to sing because it's a, I'm giving them a tool, you know, I'm giving them something to worship God with. So I want it to be something they can use. Um, so one of the things I think about, is it a good song? You know, the mm -hmm. Psalms talked about, I was going to read Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him on an instrument of ten strings. Mine mm -hmm. only has six, but I think that's okay. <laughs> um, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. And it goes on again, like I said, for the word of God is, the word of the Lord is, light, is right. His works are done in truth. And it goes on to praise the Lord there. But, um, is it a good song like is it a mm. is it written skillfully you mm. know is it good is it a good melody do the lyrics fit well you know is it good you know is it can you can you see that it's been there's been some skill involved um secondly and probably more importantly is it true like is it biblical we're supposed to worship the lord in spirit and truth so there's a lot of songs and i've been guilty of this i hear a song man that's beautiful it's such a good song and i overlook that there's maybe a line in there that's not really true. Mm. You know, when you break it down, it's kind of misleading. Um, or, or Hill song. What's that? Hill song. Yeah, it can, I mean, some of these movements have come out. Um, there was one song that I really wanted to do, but it but it talked about, you know, animals uh, evolving or, or something that was, you know, mm. talked about that. And it was, whoa, like I didn't, it kind of brushed over me. And, and, and sometimes it, you, know, you can translate it yourself because you know what the truth is, but then you realize, oh, that's actually not true what they're singing about. Um, or is it too focused on ourselves? Is it too this, too that, that kind of thing? So is it true? Is it biblical? Can you back it up with scripture? Are we really singing to God what is true? Um, are they, and this is something even more so I seem to be growing in and, and I'm kind of dropping the, the keys of the songs I find down um, because are they congregational songs? Are they easy to sing? Can your average Joe sing it? you know and, and join you in that and so i found recent years i've been dropping the keys of of songs i realize if it's high for me to sing i'm you know i'm a 
a singer somewhat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so average people coming in, I want them to be able to sing them. So is it easier to sing? You know, is it is it too? You know, yeah. where little old Nelly is going to be. Um, <laughs> right. So is right. it accessible like that? Um, and then something, and there's there's actually there's many of these. And yeah, because I think tempo too. Like you you tend to I, I like how you tend to like take a song, but you don't speed it up. You tend to really keep it at a at a good tempo. Yeah. So that congregationally, people are are going to be able to keep up right. with the the phrasing of the song. Right. I usually take, I find the highest part of the song and make sure it's not too high. And then I find the, the quickest part of the song, make sure it's not too blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And that's what often I say, let's slow it down because otherwise that bridge becomes, oh, you know, yeah. that is something. It, and it's such a skill. It's so neat that the Bible talks about being skillful, you know, because right. it, it is a skill, you know. Yeah. So a lot of times you just go, oh, I'm going to go sing a song. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. And I'm big on, you know, and it's it's a constant struggle. <laughs> Really, but having skillful people, you know, because everybody, not everybody, but most people want to be part of that. You know, you, you don't have people beating down the door to clean the toilets. You know, people want to get on stage and play, but I'm big on like, do they have that skill? Like, are they gifted at doing that? Because if not, it's gonna, it's gonna bring the whole thing down. It's gonna be a distraction. You know, it's not gonna be playing skillfully, but. Yeah. Um, and then one last thing, there's, there's lots of these things that go through my head, but something Matt Redman, you know, a famous, English yeah. worship leader. Yep. He said when he's picking a set, he tries to balance um, description with devotion. He balances description with devotion. So description being God, you are X, Y, Z, and devotion, I love you, I want to be near you, that kind of thing. And mm. Too much description, and it just gets very theological and heavy, but too much devotion, then it's, you know, what are we singing about? You know, it's not all like, <laughs> right. I love you, I <laughs> right. sit on your lap, no, no, no. You know, those songs are good, yeah. but when it's balanced with, like the Psalms are, we worship you, Lord, because this, that, da, 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 you are, blah, blah, blah. So, so balancing, and usually I go from, you know, what you probably call praise, God, you are this, da, da, to, you know, I come before you with my sin and I repent. You know, I, I kind of go on a journey with that. So yeah. those are just some of the things that, that's go through great. my head and of course i'm in a place of prayer just god you know what songs do you want sung at your party on sunday you know, yeah basically that's awesome yeah good so, stuff yeah well, it's a huge topic i mean yeah thank you for that that question we could probably talk about it for the whole show but let's move on yep. <laughs> um yeah question uh in the parable of the wedding banquet in Matthew 22, what is the significance of the man who was not wearing wedding clothes in verse 11? So a pretty specific question here, Matthew 22, the wedding banquet, the man who was not wearing wedding clothes in verse 11, what's the significance of that? <laughs> Do you like how I just completely reworded the question? And said yes, it again? totally. Thank you. Even though you're young, Sean, and you're not supposed to answer this, how would you maybe, how do you, what do you know about that parable? Um, it's in red letters. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'll, I'll get a rebuke for this later, but as far as if I was asked it on the street or at outreach or something, generally well, when it comes to, especially in this prophetic context, um, if something hasn't been explained before as far as the significance of a symbol is concerned, it won't be. If it has been explained before, then it won't be. So 
has this idea of the significance of robes been explained in Scripture? For instance, Jesus brought up a parable where the theme was entirely new. He would go on to explain its significance. But if he hasn't, that's a hint to us he's referencing the old T. So in this case, I would go to two places. First, just to get the definition down, Isaiah 61, where um, the prophet Isaiah speaking describes God not only... uh, Uh, covering him with robes of righteousness, but specifically uh, putting on him the garment of salvation, Mm -hmm. that this theme or representation of God putting garments on you is representative of his righteousness. And then the second place I'd go to just to make sure that's how it's applied is Zechariah chapter 3 with the high priest Joshua. Uh, His name was Jesus, by the way. in short, the account was of one of the series of eight visions that Zechariah was shown in the first six chapters of the book. He is shown the priest who was serving at the time, the high priest anyway, uh, standing before God and Satan, his name means accuser, was pointing out the fact he was clothed in filthy garments. Now that's not explained as far as its significance, but in light of Isaiah 61, which predated this by almost 200 years, you'd catch the theme. He was standing before God in his sin. The angel of the Lord, Jesus, interceded his advocate, and we see that explained further in the New Testament as well, was saying, the Lord rebuke you. Interestingly enough, the Lord said, the Lord rebuke you. Uh, Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? He was still wearing filthy garments, so the angel of the Lord ordered them to take off his filthy robes, his sin, and put on him, a la Isaiah 61, white robes, clean robes, and a turban on his head, a note of responsibility. And then verses 6 through 10 go on to explain the significance of that. But then applying that to the wedding feast, what happened? A man came into the presence of the feast, and he wasn't clothed. He wasn't given the righteousness of God and thus was kicked out, that no one's going to come and stand before God in that way. Um, The context of the kingdom of the parables, obviously the audience was significant in that he's talking to people saying, you need me, I'm the kingdom. So that would be how I'd explain that. Yeah, that's great. I love that that backdrop with the the prophets and uh, how uh, Isaiah and Zechariah um, both talk about this these clothes of righteousness or you know there's uh, garments um, and this is a theme that you see all the way rolls into the book of revelation in, in our bible mm-hmm. um, this idea of being clothed in righteousness and it's very interesting that this parable <clears throat> is um, it talks about <clears throat> a bunch of different situations kind of going on there's uh, it says um, it says uh, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Okay. We've already know Jesus has been talked about as being the, the son of God, the son of man. This kind of idea has definitely been permeating through Jerusalem, through Galilee, through these different areas. And it says, uh, so he sent his servant servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come but they refused to come so you have this first call that goes out in this refusal and then it says then he sent some more servants and said tell those who have been invited that i have prepared my dinner my oxen and fatted cattle uh, have been uh, butchered and everything is ready to come hey we're gonna have a barbecue 
So let's go to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention. The second one didn't, no, didn't, they paid no attention. And they went off, one to his field, the other to his business. So it seems like they're more concerned about, you know, business and their lives and things like that. And uh, so it says, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city, which is really interesting. It's a reference to the previous parable, which was discussing the scribes and Pharisees and what they had done to the prophets. Yeah, so it's uh, very interesting. So it's, it seems like Jesus is trying to really bring a point home to the religious leaders of their rejection and refusal of uh, the Son. And all that the Son represents, you know, the, the future wedding that's going to happen, this future uh, time uh, uh, with uh, in the kingdom— and um, and then it says, then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And, and so you see this wedding hall finally filled. Uh, and then you get to this man who is not wearing wedding clothes. So it's interesting. Um, it's interesting uh, because the uh, um, Pharisees went out after this, and they really were fed up with him. <laughs> and before this. <laughs> and before. Yeah. So the reaction to Jesus' parable here, it says a lot, meaning they really uh, are, are Jesus, I think, in this in this parable is revealing in a sense a more full picture of the kingdom and his role in as king of the kingdom and their attitude towards it is not flying it it, right in their attitude of rejecting rejecting um i'll come in on my own yeah treating uh the um messengers of god horribly Um, So it's almost like a history, a little history lesson within the parable to the religious leaders. Like what you saw with Stephen in the book of Acts, or like what you saw with Paul in the book of Acts. Declaring a a full-blown history sermon. Those guys gave a full-blown sermon. But here Jesus does this in this parable to these specific people. So it's definitely bringing the point home of rejection. Mm. You know, know, and for us it would be this— you know, I think the application to to us who who aren't living in Jesus's day with the Fer- you know Pharisees and all that, Sadducees, but um, is this is you know hey you know what don't go to your field don't go to your place of business, you know when it comes to uh, making a decision about Jesus, you have to look into it. You know, truth matters, and uh, death is going to become us all, and in light of that. Um, the most reasonable thing you can do is is look to what is true. And if there is an eternity to gain, yeah. you know, an eternal heaven to gain, then every, you should mm. drop everything and, and find out about that. Yeah. Um, to not do so is absolutely unreasonable, right. you know. And um, so uh, we live in a world where people boast that they're reasonable. We're science. We're into science. We're into reason. But yeah. no, if you're into reason, then you would actually look for spiritual truth yeah. because that is the eternal. That is the greater. Uh, this is the temporal. 
Yeah. And so, um, yeah, if you say you, you're using your reason, but you're not going to look into spiritual matters, then that's unreasonable. Right. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Uh, question. This is a great question here. This is such a good discussion um, from Sui. Should we legislate morality? Is it our job as Christians to do so? That is such a good question. Should we legislate morality? Should we be involved in making the law go along with Christian values? Does that really matter? Does that change hearts? What's, you know, what's the purpose in all of that? Great question. Definitely. All laws are legislation of morality. The problem is when people say you're not allowed to play the game I'm trying to use against you, it's basically stacking the deck in their favor and saying that you can't apply by standards that are afforded to every human being on the face of the planet. Mm -hmm. So don't fall for the sloganeering of you can't force your views on people and then equivocate that, meaning to use a term that has multiple meanings and then jump between the two of them as if they're the same thing and say, you can't force your views on people, you can't coerce people, you can't force the state to make your religion law, you can't legislate morality. None of those things are the same thing. And if we're going to engage in this kind of conversation, we need to first of all understand that all laws are the legislation of morality. And I, as a Christian, Sui, you as a Christian, and everyone who's benefited from the United States legal system to some degree, or any sound legal system, and I am saying that at the expense of things like Sharia law or Shinto law, we want to encourage a society that is based on the principles we see in Scripture. Now, am I saying that we become a theocracy? No, the Bible doesn't teach that either. But if we look at the example that Jesus set and use him as a framework for our ethics, that's as true for me individually. I'm making my own morality something that is governing and improving my own life under the belief that it is, in fact, better than if I just live to stimulate my nerve endings or something in between. Now, people go, well, it's either you have to be 100% like Jesus or you're 100% a hedonist. There is no in between. That's ridiculous. And when it comes to what the government can and can't enforce, for instance, I need to govern myself and say, okay, do I, in my thoughts, in my intents, in my heart, bring those thoughts into captivity and conform them to the image of Christ. Mm -hmm. That is not something that can be legislated because it is an individual, between me and God, spiritual phenomenon. On the other hand, if I'm, as Romans chapter 13 says, being drawn in a certain direction to act on my anger, and I need the necessary fear of acting on my anger, not just in terms of outright murder, but maybe in just wanton violence and not having, you know, mutual combat laws and so forth. I do think there's a time and a place to settle your differences out back, but once again, in the right context. The point being made is law has a purpose. It's a gift from God. And if we look at Romans chapter 13 and note that this is meant to be a representation of God, then the only legitimate laws in a, in a Christian worldview are the laws that conform to a biblical worldview. Mm. Atheists can enjoy it, Buddhists can enjoy it, Muslims certainly enjoy it until they can coerce it into Sharia law. It, no one is forced into a religious worldview by the legislation of morality as long as it's not made a caricature of. And what I mean by that is it's not paradised, it's not strawmanned and saying, uh, you 
it's the slippery slope, right? You have to keep all religion out of legislation, and there can only be atheists who definitely won't impose their morality on anybody, because that's how that works, and say, you get the, the mock situation. The point being made is, understand what a law is. The point being made is, understand what the Christian life is, self-governance, and also understand what government is, an ordinance from God to promote good and restrain evil. And if you can understand and set a reasonable outlook for where that can actually be enforced and where it needs to be self-determined, then you're going to see the same point that the Founding Fathers of the United States and many European nations have also caught on to. Now, has it been abused? Yes. Is it being abused? Yes. Is it always going to be gotten right? No, that's the problem when you have people a part of a system. I don't live the Christian life 100% right on my own, let alone people representing him and how they're supposed to promote those good things or restrain those bad things. They either get a skewed or socially determined view of what is good, or they muddle down or turn a blind eye to certain things that are bad as long as it preserves their ability to continue to do the right thing on and on it goes but that's the point if i don't fall into that slogan if i don't fall into that trap of saying you can't force your beliefs on people that's true no one comes to the father unless the spirit draws him but if you say that means that you can't pass any laws in line with the christian worldview we're talking about two different things here and if they just keep stomping their feet and going yes it is yes it is yes it is you're talking to a four-year-old but if on the other hand you want to talk like adults make sure that you don't fall into that trap yeah yeah any thoughts Bob? this this is uh this this is a big one that's a big question yeah um um, that's for sure. Um, I, I tend to read all kinds of books um, on these subjects. Um, one of uh, a good friend and uh, uh, once a minister here uh, at this fellowship, Jason Jimenez, who's an author and mm. um, has worked with, um, you know, the uh, late great um, Norman Geisler, Norman Geisler um, who wrote probably one of my favorite apologetic books ever. Mm. Um, just Christian apologetics, I think that's what it's called. But it's just, yeah, it's awesome. It's just an amazing book. But um, Jason has written many books on kind of a little bit of the Christian nation kind of history that's yeah. in this country. Um, I've also read different books, uh, The Myth of a Christian Nation, which is by Gregory Boyd, which is uh, kind of a um, rebuttal of um books that are very pro christian nation mm. oriented and um and i think boyd has probably received a lot of <laughs> a lot of pushback on his book yeah. uh, the myth of a christian nation um and um and i i like to p- kind of pull the pen- pendulum and read different books and get different thoughts on this um, cuz uh you know when you read when you read obviously jesus you're you you don't see jesus you know, obviously in his first coming, uh, going after the kingdoms of the world and not going, uh, not changing the world by the sword. Um, but he talks about a kingdom and uh, a kingdom within us, a kingdom that we are a part of, um, yeah. uh, a spiritual kingdom that we should be about. So it's uh, it's very interesting, you know, legislating morality. Um, the, the big 
question always is is that I get scared of, of with this question, and I must uh, confess that I get a little fearful with this this idea of legislating morality because it um, it's just a matter of time before someone legislates their morality and uh, meaning a morality that you don't like. Right. Um, and that's the that's what people struggle with all the time. Yeah. Right. Is that someone's legislating? You know, they're putting in laws, and and it's according to someone's uh, ethical beliefs. Right. And uh, but what if it's ethical beliefs that you don't agree with? Yeah. Um, and and there's a degree to which there's some laws that can be passed are worse than others um, in a belief system, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so some laws you can live with, and then there's other laws that are very difficult to live with. Yeah. Um, so this is this is why the voting is so important is because Sean's right in that everybody's legislating morality, no matter who's in there, right? We have a legislative branch, um, you know, uh, and uh, of, of our government. And, uh, but whoever is elected is going to try to push uh, a ethical paradigm. And, and it's just who or, you know, what is that gonna look like? Right. And can people live with that? Um, and, and, and this is the, the scary thing is like, uh, for Christians, you know, there's a lot of things that we would like to say not have. And, but the but the issue is is like okay we get in there we we put in we say okay let's not do this let's not do that but then someone else gets in there mm -hmm. and and then they put there then they say well we we want our thing and it, it, it and, it, and it might be something worse like something we hate even more you know yeah. it, um, it, it might be something that really goes against you know where we're at and. Um, you know, Sean mentioned Sharia law and things like that. And uh, there's people that don't like the Bible. And, um, you know, would I want the Bible to be abolished? Would right. I want that to be a law yeah. under some ethical banner yeah. of like, it's not, it's not ethical and not, it's not ethically right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I wouldn't want people to approve that kind of a law, yeah. you know? Um, but there are people out there that would want that kind of a law. Yeah. So, uh, you know, legislating morality happens. Um, it is a very, uh, very difficult situation that we find ourselves in. I'm glad that uh, I, I wish everybody, uh, I, I'm glad that our system's set up where you only have like four years in some positions. Right. And uh, yeah. I, I think probably that should happen in all the positions. Yeah. You know, Congress and everything like that. There right. shouldn't be lifers. It probably should be yeah. where you only have a just got to get through these four years. Yeah. And then, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Be change. Right. And then there's change because that that kind of safeguards things. Yeah. Um, from getting too out of hand. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, it used to be what it used to be. Yeah. It used to be like that. I think I think what's really important in my mind is to remember that it's not you know, it's not um, saving people. You know, with because we can have victories in, you know, abortion is illegal. Yeah. No matter what reason, gay marriage illegal. You know, there's maybe a victory in a sense, but did anyone come to Christ? <laughs> right. You know, so yeah. so it, it's yeah. important, even though we, even if we can legislate these Christian things, you got to remember that's not 
the big victory. Yeah. You know, the big victory is Christ in hearts. Yeah, you know? and the church is really the, that that is to be the place of where Christian ethics is displayed, yeah. is within the body of Christ. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the church. Individual. Yeah. Yeah. Within the individual, within the body of Christ, yeah. those kind of so that's why in the New Testament you see like the church is is working as a, like a different on a different premise right. than you know Caesar and Rome, yeah. you know those kind of things. Yeah. Paul's concerned about what's going on in the church, yeah. you know, yeah. which Jesus is the head of. Yeah, yeah, to be that light, to be that light, yeah, all different, yeah, yeah, very good. Great question, Suey. Thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, very good. It's, yeah, it's 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 a, a huge question and great discussion. Um, we're coming up on the end of our show here, but a question from Yari: What do I tell someone who believes Adam and Eve were just a myth and theoretically they didn't exist? What's your thoughts on that? Well, three problems. I'll be brief for the sake of time. First, what are your standards historically? Second, that's impossible biologically if the human race started, whether it's through macroevolution, abiogenesis, whatever, they had to or there had to have been a starting point where a homo sapien breeded with another and you could note that as the first quote-unquote homo sapien sapien breeding with another and producing what we know as our branch of the hum of the homo genus but the point being made is if you're going to dismiss the bible's account and that's the third point the idea of okay i don't trust it because it's in your bible okay i'll grant that there had to have been a first woman and first man but i don't believe your account of it i believe that the adam and eve account is a myth well, going back to the first point about history, what are your standards for what constitutes a myth? Because a myth actually has a definition, and you not liking it is not that word. If we classify something as a myth, it means that we're totally removed, totally absent from any sort of source that could have verified it either by eyewitness testimony, uh, something that has no archaeological or sociological evidence to support it, nothing for it apart from hearsay by word of mouth. Now, when it comes to the account of Adam and Eve, was it communicated through hearsay, through oral tradition, to use a better word? In a sense, yes. God dictated to Moses on Mount Sinai what the events were that were relevant to the founding of the nation of Israel, Genesis 1 through 5, regarding Adam's goings and producing offspring and so forth, were given to him not because he was an eyewitness, but because God was. But if on the other hand we're going to grant what we can actually know, not what I'd like to be known, hmm. I trust the account of Jesus of Nazareth, who said in the book of Matthew chapter 20 that he who made them in the beginning made them male, in Hebrew ish, and female, isha a reference to Genesis chapter 2. Mm. And in noting this purposeful making, Adam was named that because it just means dirt, but that was in reference to his unique creation. Eve was given her name after the fall because that was only then that she started to produce, excuse me, children, the mother of all living. But note that point, Ish and Isha, a literal creation of man and woman, a purposeful creation of man and woman, when in the beginning, at the start, not somewhere billions of years along the line. And that's Matthew 19, 4 through 6. 19, thank you. He made the point, though, what? As a historical claim. And we can also know historically Jesus of Nazareth put his credentials on the table, not just as a first century Judean, right? But what? 
someone who physically was murdered by the Roman government and then rose from the dead in order to verify he was actually the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if we have an eyewitness to report the <coughs> mythological account of Adam and Eve, that goes out the window because we have an eyewitness reporting it to Moses and repeating it in person in the first century. Yeah. But if you're then going to go, well, that, that's just your belief. I'm not a Christian. Well, that's not how evidence works, but let's just move on. Biologically, there had to have been a first man and woman for us to be here. Thirdly, scripturally, doctrinally, if you don't like my text, why is that? Is it because they present something unreasonable? Biologically, that's not the case. Historically, that's not the case. It comes to a conclusion you don't like, and that's what? We were made with a purpose, for a purpose, to glorify God and make him known. That we fell, we made a conscious moral decision that rejected that relationship with God, and as the book of Romans chapter 5 says, through Adam, all sinned. But through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, mm. all may be made righteous. Right. The the mythologizing, I guess that's not a wow. word, but that's the, the word of the day. Yeah, the <laughs> dismissal, the marginalization of the Adam and Eve account isn't a jab against the biblical account's history or the rationality of there being a first man and woman. Every account would acknowledge that. But what? the fact that it calls for accountability to Jesus, and that's where the real conversation needs to be had. Adam and Eve, just a smokescreen. Get the conversation back to Jesus. You'll be just fine. Yeah, great. Well, at the end of the show, thank you, guys. That was a great show. It went really quick. Yeah. Uh, we talked about music at church and why we do that. We talked about the, uh, the wedding banquet in Matthew 22. We talked about whether we should legislate morality. We talked about Adam and Eve and whether they... Uh, whether they really existed. We covered some great uh, things, great topics. Thank you for your questions, Bo. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. We'll be back Thank again you. tomorrow, same time, same place. Thank you for being part of A Reason for Hope. We will see you then. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.